0: Hello and welcome back to Out of Curiosity. This is our podcast where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Nick. And I'm Garland. And today we're going to talk about a a really practical question that that I've gotten a lot in ministry, Um, especially in student ministry. I would find this a lot where uh, parents would be curious about baptism for their children. And, And a lot of times they they wanted security was a lot of the, the motivation they, out of dear love for their children, they wanted to know that their children were saved. They wanted to know that there was security for heaven and, uh, and life after death. And so there was a, a sense of a push for baptism to kind of seal the deal. Um, right. And so that that's one way you get at it from a lot of different perspectives where people are essentially asking the question, what is the relationship between baptism and salvation? And when should I be baptized?
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the question comes in a whole lot of different ways. Like I remember, and then, and even the the issue comes up. I remember when I was in high school, uh, one of the major points of division uh, at the high school I went to between Christians was over this particular issue. And it, really? I remember it getting like weirdly heated uh, in what was like an early online uh, chat room that <laughs> actually the, the fellowship student ministry hosted. And Are you it serious? got like yeah, yeah, it got like really. Kind of divisive, and uh, and I remember thinking this is so weird, and so much is being made out of this. And so, uh, yeah, this is how you fought online before Twitter. And yeah, basically, so. yeah, it was it was text, and you had to put in like uh, I, I didn't ever do it, so I just was following it. But uh, uh, what's what's interesting is we we. We get the question a lot, and uh, it comes sometimes with a lot of baggage. Yeah. Uh, it comes sometimes with like a weird fear or anxiety. And so uh, first and foremost, we just kind of want to bring some clarity and make sense of what even the concept is of baptism. And so um, even the word itself yeah. is this word that we now think we know what it means, but the, even the translation of that word into English is basically translators not wanting to wade into the mess of this. And so that's kind of how the word even stuck in our English. Unpack that. What do you mean? So so the word baptizo is the verb in uh, Greek. And this particular word that we're translating into baptism, when the English translators were navigating, mm-hmm. how do we translate this? The The word readily means to dip or to immerse in, yeah. in, in water it was like a, what would be some non-religious uses of the word so if you were going to dip clothing in something to wash it if you were going to dip a pan or something you would to wash it you okay. would dip it you would it immerse really it's
0: so a common word
1: it's it's an it's a word that means that and not necessarily the, spiritual it doesn't have any grand spiritual meaning when the when the the gospel writers what our new testament writers use this word to talk about it uh they had a Something in mind. Okay. When the translators into English are trying to figure out what to do with it, uh, there's a lot of there was a lot of argument as to what do you do? Is it dipping? Is it immersion? Is it sprinkling? Is it infants? Is it and in light of that, they just said, we don't want to wait into that because if we translate this as immerse, right, some people will be mad. If we translate this as dip, some people will be mad. And so they just took the Greek word baptizo and they just basically made an English word.
0: So because there were different views on how to baptize whether it's dunking in water or sprinkling water. The fear was if you choose a common English word, you're settling that debate. You're landing on one side. And a translator didn't want to settle that debate. They wanted to leave it open-ended. So instead of translating it, they just made an just English, not weighed into that. Yeah. They made a new English word. And, and
1: this is hundreds of years ago when yep. the English was different, so I get all that, and the languages were different. But that's essentially what was going on. And okay. so we've now got a, an English word that has a heavy spiritual overtone, or, or we might say like a religious overtone, mm-hmm. that carries with it... All of the symbolism of what baptism is when really it 's just a Greek word for immerse or dip, and yeah. so that doesn't do it help us at all with the what the concept <laughs> is yeah. of of baptism and so uh, the concept of baptism really originates in Jewish Old Testament culture. You have uh, things that are pronounced as ceremonially unclean, and this was common in the ancient Near Eastern world, and uh water dipping something in water was a way to cleanse it, and it was always presided over by The priest presided over in a temple. It was something that was spiritual in nature to cleanse something. And so in your your Old Testament, if you've read through Leviticus, you'll cleanse different garments, so you'll cleanse different uh, utensils. You will cleanse people when they're ceremonially unclean. And that's our our context for uh, this concept of baptism. That's where it comes from. Okay, so uh, how do we get from that Old Testament Jewish concept to what we now have happening in the New Testament church? Well, that, that's that's the question. And so what's interesting is when somebody who was raised uh, or was coming from a non-Jewish background in the Old Testament would convert to following Yahweh, would become a follower of uh, the God of the Old Testament, then what would happen is they would be cleansed. They'd be yeah. ritually cleansed. They'd be baptized in a sense. And that was what, what the New Testament world is doing is they're taking this concept and they're applying it to what happens when somebody... Puts their faith in Yahweh's Messiah, Jesus, and so it's 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 said it's set in a very Jewish context, has very Jewish overtones. And so when we see Paul for example the passage at least at the church that we both work at, at fellowship that we quote from is from Romans, the book of Romans, and Romans is essentially Paul's summary of the story of the good news of Jesus. That's what Romans is doing and all the implications that uh, that that has in real life. And so as Paul walks his way through the story of the good news in chapter 6, he's addressing what it looks like to now be liberated or set free by the work of what Jesus has done in making one new. And he says all of the amazing things that happen when somebody is set free by Jesus the Messiah, when somebody now has access to God and peace with God, all of that crazy awesomeness is symbolized or identified onto somebody in their baptism. In our passage here, if you would, uh, let me just read it in in Romans chapter 6, verse 1. He says, "'What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may increase?' By no means. Absolutely not. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you know that all of us who were baptized, so think of that Jewish context, mm-hmm. were baptized into the Messiah Jesus, Christ Jesus, were baptized and it was death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that or so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He's saying that baptism in effect is is identifying one. He's identifying the person as the status of those who is under the realm of Jesus as Messiah. Mm-hmm. No longer as one who has the status of under the power of sin and death. Mm. It's it's a really cool, compelling, yeah. beautiful picture and therefore in the early church, uh they found it as a as a picture to their culture. Right. This is how we're going to show, just like the Jewish culture did, this is how we're going to show that one has Change status, we might say, yeah. or is identifying with Jesus as Messiah. We're going to baptize them.
0: That makes a lot of sense, and that's really helpful. So it's a, um, it's a, it's an enactment of a reality. Might be right. a way to say it. Right. So um, that seems fairly straightforward, and yet we know it's not. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> where does the murkiness come in? Where, where, where the different views come from, and how does it get? How does it get less clear than that?
1: Yeah. So the 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 history of how the early church wrestled through what baptism meant is is dense and can be really confusing, and there's a lot to wade through. And yeah. so maybe in summary, what we could say is this, is in the very early church, uh, within 100 years of the time of Jesus, so this is before, this is while the church is going through tons of persecution, uh, while the church is trying to figure out what it means to be Jewish monotheists who believe that, God is also three and one, and Jesus has done something on the cross and has been raised from the dead. all of the if you think about how crazy that would sound in the first century world right. they're trying to figure out what does it look like to to call someone to identification with this movement with Jesus as messiah and uh as they wrestle through that, um, it became important for the early church that baptism was seen as a clear identification, a clear marker. And the amount of, we might say, force they put on that or weight they put on that uh, leads to some, a little bit of confusion. And then as, as time goes on, uh, baptism inevitably, it it's almost seems inevitable, would become almost synonymous with being saved or even necessary to be fully saved or fully a part of the Messiah's kingdom. So here's a really good example. In the early church Within 100 years of the time of Jesus, uh, baptism went from something that believers did immediately, like we see in the book of Acts, to a process by which somebody would come and say to the church, I believe in Jesus as Messiah. I I affirm that. I've I've encountered Jesus. I adopt that as my worldview. He is the Messiah. He's the king. Right. So we would call that, like, now, did you accept Christ? Did you get saved? You know, our kind of modern language. Sure. And the early church would go, okay, and we're talking within 100 years of Jesus' death. We're not going to baptize you yet. We're going to we're going to put you through a 3-year process and we're going to watch and we're going to see. And in that 3-year process, they they were looking to see if the claim of one's faith was genuine. Hmm. And then at the end of that 3-year mark, almost always on Easter, they would baptize uh that particular person because for the early church to say someone was baptized was making was showing this person is identifying with Jesus as Messiah and that was not something to be done off the cuff or willy nilly. And they were also facing people that might try to infiltrate the church. Uh, and so they, they established this process really quickly. And that's what I mean by murky. We hear that now and go three year process. Like what what are you talking about? And the reality of the church in its day, they were trying to figure out how to preserve the importance of what it means to identify with Jesus. I do think that's one of the things we've lost, uh, in some of our baptism language today when we make it merely, uh, symbolic outward expression of an inward Mm. faith i think Mm. the the analogy i like to use is my wedding ring is a symbol right that's true it is a mere symbol but my wedding ring also identifies me it marks me it's a big deal it has a it has a weight to it sure that should communicate not only to my wife but to a broader culture i belong to her and uh, i think we can recapture that when we talk about baptism even even today yeah,
0: I think that's really helpful. And I think it's, and there's so many things you said there I thought are interesting. I mean, when you talked about the waiting three years, because uh, I think it's in, in our maybe culture, we feel the need to hurry people into a decision. Right. And it's interesting that they they had every bit as much evangelistic zeal as we did. They wanted people to know Jesus, and they also wanted people to take that commitment seriously. Yeah. And, both, and you mentioned two reasons there. One, because it is a weighty thing to commit your life to Christ, but also because they're being persecuted. Right. And so to admit someone to full admission to their community was potentially dangerous mm-hmm. um, to let them in on that. So there was, there was a slowness there that I think is fascinating. Also, uh, just that idea, I think the wedding is such a, a significant or, or maybe helpful analogy because on the one hand, um, the – you know, walking down the aisle substantially is
1: not your marriage. Right. It, it's a ceremony. It's, it's, it's a it's day. A, it's a 30 seconds. Yes. Yeah. And
0: yet, we don't demean it because of that. Right. We still treat it as a really special day. Yeah. yeah. Even though, you know, people get married without a wedding ceremony, you know, right. they can make the commitment and go down and sign the papers. But there's, there is something special to be had for the ceremony, and I think sometimes it's easy to – um to kind of have a, an unhealthy overreaction because we want to not say that somehow um, the physical water makes you a Christian, right? Like I'm a super
1: Christian now, yeah, or some, full some, Christian.
0: But we we can have an overreaction to that. To just
1: eh, it's it's just the symbol. It's just something we do out of obedience. Not a big right, deal, right? Yeah, that's that's a fear I have. Um, so as we talk about this, one of the questions I get a lot is so. What about the other positions? Like yeah, what other people believe about this, and in particular, uh, in in the context here at our church, I get a question, uh, especially, especially with like younger people, students. Um, what do we do with the Catholics? What do we do with the Catholic people <laughs> right. and what they believe? And so, it's really, it's really kind of a, it's a rather simple answer, and it might help sure. people just to see. Uh, where their church or where their theology fits. And I, I hope that maybe some of the, even the murkiness of talking about the early church gives us some grace yeah. in this conversation. Yeah. Um, so if we want to look at it on a spectrum, on the one end of the spectrum, we might call baptism a sacrament. Now, I'm going to use a technical word, sacrament versus ordinance. Okay. I mean, not everybody would use it this way. The way I define a sacrament is something by which the person participating in it receives grace, more okay. grace. Okay. That's a sacrament. That's by virtue that's, of doing this by thing. By virtue of doing the act, more grace is bestowed on me. Okay. Uh, an ordinance would be something that is the same act, but seen merely symbolically. Okay. Um, or as not conferring any grace. I don't get any more grace in doing this. And so okay. if we take, if we use that as our language... The the Catholic Church's position is the position that baptism is a sacrament. Mm-hmm. By participating in the act itself, I am receiving Jesus' grace. It's Jesus' grace to give. I'm not earning the grace. He is dispensing it of his free will and his free grace. So we're not this is not works salvation here. It's not saying you're earning something. Right. It okay. is now dispensed to me mm-hmm. on through his the priest, through the priest and the the Catholic structure. that when the priest participates in baptism, grace is conferred on the baptized. Okay. Um, and and it's a sacrament in that sense. Yeah. The Lutheran position is, uh, if you're talking about an adult, take the same thing I just said about Catholics, but add the faith of the baptized to it as Got a it. necessary requirement. But everything else is the same, basically okay. the same. Uh, if you take the, take the ordinance view, then there's different positions within this view. One would be that only believers should get baptized, that believers uh-huh. get baptized upon a profession of faith, and it is a symbolic uh, statement to the world that identifies you with Jesus. That's, that's the position that fellowship, for example, would take. Yep. Uh, another, another view in the ordinance view would be we are baptizing babies or infants. Mm-hmm. with. We might say this is preparatory. It, okay. it, in, it is initiating the grace of God, and it will be coupled one day. With belief, And in that sense, uh, the the corresponding Old Testament reality would be circumcision. Got it. And so it functions in the way circumcision does. It marks one as part of the covenant community to be later added faith, have faith added to that in a, an adult believer now confirming what happened. In their- so for
0: people who practice infant baptism, the emphasis is very much on the community. Yes. Much the way that we in our church tradition will do a parent-child dedication right. where we'll pray over the children and say, we commit to raise these kids in the church. And, and lead them to Christ, the infant baptism is saying, we are committing this child to the
1: covenant community. Right, yeah. And so there's different views. Those are very different views. And yep. uh, some would, would press this view to really far and mm-hmm. say, if you don't hold this view or my view, then it's an unchristian view or a non-biblical view. And uh, I do think we need to have some charity and grace in discussing yeah. this because uh, we don't have a, a clear New Testament teaching giving us this is the view of baptism. Let's go ahead and talk about baptism as a ritual. It just, it, the New Testament doesn't operate that way. It wasn't mm-hmm. a, uh, a handbook on how to do rituals in the early church. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of learn from what the early church f- uh, fathers did. Yeah. And, uh, and so, at minimum, what we want to try to stress here is baptism is an outward expression, it's an outward symbol of what Jesus has done. And it's a really beautiful symbol from death to life in new life in Jesus' resurrection. And it is an identification with yes. Jesus and His community, His kingdom, which we call the church right now. And so, in that, it's a it's a really important and uh, it's a and it's important part of obedience to Christ. In fact, mm-hmm. He commands us in His great commission. He has all authority as the King. Yeah, we are therefore to go and call people in identification with Him, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's really important, and weighty, and we want the people to know that.
0: Uh, that, thank you. That's, that's really helpful. It's a compelling vision for, for where that fits in our lives and really shaping our identity as people who have new life in Christ. So um, thanks, Garland, and thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity.
1: Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed baptism. For further study, we recommend looking in scripture at Romans 6, 1-14 and Titus 3, 4-8. And we also recommend Invitation to Church History, Volume 1, by John Hanna. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to OOCuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at OOCuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.